that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's graduation weekend, and so some of our people are celebrating. We have um, Mindy, who's graduating tomorrow from the academy. So if, if you um, want to support her, that'll be happening. So with graduation season in full swing, I drive in my car, and I hear on the radio that vitamin C song contemporary pop song put to pomp and circumstance. I'm going to sing the first line and, oh, Lily. (laughs) The one that says, as we go on, we remember. Okay. All right. So they just recently graduated. No, they didn't. Um, but with that comes this time where you think the, the end of eighth grade, the end of high school, the end of college, and now the world is at my disposal. And so you sit down, you become a part of these commencement ceremonies, and you listen to what these inspiring teachers, business people, successful individuals, really anybody with anything positive to say, they sit there and they encourage you. And so I I thought about that, and I actually opened up my high school yearbook this past week because my tenure is coming up, and If that gives you an interesting perspective on my age, there it is. Um, But as a graduate of La Sierra High School, just down the street from La Sierra Academy in Riverside, the graduating class of 2008 had a total of 896 students. And as class president now, almost 10 years later, I am finding myself in a pickle. It's like, this was really fun back when I was in high school, but I didn't know that I signed up for this planning a 10-year reunion thing. And I was like, please tell me this is not the rest of my life. Like, I'm just going to hand this off after this 10-year one happens. So I've been in the midst of reading all of those things that your friends, your best friends then, right? I haven't talked to these people for 10 years. Um, But we're best friends. Do you remember this pep rally? Do you remember when you won Most Spirited? Do you remember when... I'm not going to tell you all the other things. But you sit there and you go, oh, wow. But sermon prep and sermon writing is hard. It is stretching me, and it is growing me in ways that I am so grateful for, but that's not without its bumps and bruises. And I found that I absolutely hate the process that that I go through because I am pulled in every which direction until probably Thursday night, Friday night, Friday, Saturday morning. You know, it's just like, ah, come on. But I feel so honored and so blessed to be able to be a person that gets to come here on a Sabbath and enjoy worship with all of you here and to be the person that gets to speak 
God's heart to a group of people on any given week. It is incredibly hard and pressure filling, but it is also incredibly honoring and wonderfully exciting to be able to share this wonderful message with my family. So the mix of having a hard and tough sermon prep process, as well as having a really reminiscent kind of week with graduation happening, I spent a few days rereading and rereading and rereading the Gospels, because that's where I start. Start with Jesus, see what's happening, and as certain things get illuminated, It'll take me to different places in the Bible, and we'll see what message God has prepared for the week. So I came to Romans, and I prayed a prayer early in the week, like, it's not Romans, God. That's a hard book to, to figure out. And so reading and reading and rereading, and it was just there. Just Romans. You're going to be in the book of Romans, Kayla. Like, get used to it. So two weeks ago when I was here with a frog voice that you all graciously bared with me through, um, we were in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so now this week we're going to be in Paul's letter to the Romans. And it is interesting for me and, and so exciting for me to think, okay, Kayla, what is this process of sitting through Paul's work and Paul's letters to these churches of the early Christian community? Romans is not as straightforward and not as on the nose as some of the other books and letters that Paul has written. It is his longest work and it is the first that we come across in our Bible, but it is written the latest of all of his letters that we have. This book is filled with theology that is complicated and dense. It is filled with logic that is so intricate that people will study this book for a lifetime and come up with new things each day. People will say that this letter is Paul's most mature and articulation of his presentation of the gospel. So as I thought about which parts, and if you go through my book of Romans, like everything is written and everything is highlighted for this specific sermon prep process. And so it's like, okay, is it in chapter one? Is it in chapter two? Is it, and we went through, and I was overwhelmed. Do I talk about the fact that God is righteous, that God is faithful and generous? Or do we talk about justification that is more than just forgiveness or more than just an acquittal? It is a gift that we get. It is reconciliation back to God. Do I talk about what it means to have resurrection impact your life? That it gives us an opportunity to be alive in Jesus? So in honor of graduation season and in honor of me studying these letters recently more in depth than, than, I, than I have in a while, I decided I would get a little bit creative. And today, 
we are going to get my pastoral letter to you. If you are unfamiliar with Paul's letters, I'll go back to Colossians like we were in a few weeks ago. And typically they all follow this formula. It starts, and Colossians start this, starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the... Let's start over. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then he has thanksgiving, he has prayer, then he starts talking about whatever parts of their community that they're having a conversation about, then it ends with a wonderful wrap-up, praise, doxology, and it's, it's a very basic formula, and all of his letters do that. So I'm not Paul, and my letter will loosely follow that, um, but I, I couldn't understand why I kept being drawn to these letters, and earlier in staff meeting this week, we prayed, and Pastor Milton said, God bless Kayla and her sermon prep process as she shares her heart with our church. And as I continued to read and to study and to prep, I thought that's exactly what I'm going to do. Share my heart with my church. So I literally wrote a letter and I, I'm gonna read it to you and this is where we're gonna spend a little bit of time today. PK, a servant of the Lord, associate pastor of Benita Avenue Church. PK stands for Pastor Kayla. People, in case people, we, okay. A servant of the Lord, associate pastor of Benita Avenue Church, unashamed vessel of the Holy Spirit, outspoken individual of God's love, advocate for sharing in Christ's life of compassion, always unworthy, but forever grateful for the hope of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you, Bonita Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church. My dearest church family, I thank God that there is a community like this that exists. The Bonita Adventist Church is welcoming and friendly. In the eight months that I have been here, you have constantly welcomed people into this worship space with open arms, and I pray that you continue to be a unique and revolutionary community. The spirit of this place is appealing to a young pastor. Never have I seen a community where this many church attendees are involved and participate in making sure this church functions. Additionally, it is appealing to a young pastor because the spirit of this place is not just your personality, but it is a recognizable Holy Spirit working within us. In a time such as this, researchers and statistics say that 50% of high school students will walk away from our church when they graduate. graduate. However, our community is full of young people and we are continuing to grow in spite of this statistic while the presence of high school and young adults are diminishing elsewhere. People today do not see the value in church. They know and they can comprehend the value that the church could hold, but they don't see it. 
In religious history, we know that our Seventh-day Adventist tradition was a response to the Second Great Awakening in the early 1800s. Our tradition came from a society that had to prove its theological soundness and theological distinctives in order to make a name for itself. Our tradition has seen success as it answers many of the tough questions and as our details and our study has been able to stand up for itself. I believe that Adventism provides the most beautiful painting of the gospel. The world is no longer caught up in tradition that has the best theology, though. The needs today are much more dire. People are making decisions on a much broader scope. Religion or not. Our distinctives are not under fire. Our Jesus, our Lord, and our Savior is not under fire. However, religion in general has pushed away a majority of my friends from my high school and college experiences. And here are a few excerpts why. When I left religion, I was finally able to love people that I formally judged because my church said their lifestyle was an abomination. I was no longer trying to tell them that I felt the way they were living was wrong. When I left religion, I realized that they had heard they were living in sin their entire life because that was all that anyone could see. It wasn't until I left religion when I said, my church doesn't love you, but I do, that their response was, we'll take all the love we can get because we can't find very much of it lately. I don't go to church anymore because people used to tell me to stop asking questions. This is what the Bible said, and that's it. It seemed like I couldn't ask, if I couldn't ask a question, then I was dumb for having that question. Or if I didn't quite understand, or if I couldn't completely buy into a certain idea, then I was less than. They made it seem like if I didn't fully champion every single piece of theology, then I was rejecting Jesus himself. My religious experience growing up was always in the context of the four walls of the physical church building. I never witnessed a community that actually made a difference in the lives of people who hadn't already heard the gospel. They were basically only concerned about their immediate church family. While they were kind enough people, they didn't work very hard to mix with the people who could truly use and experience the hope that Jesus brings. A few responses of friends that I had talked to over the course of this week to be able to share with you. The message of Jesus is good, and people aren't rejecting him. But they are rejecting God's church. Because if it's not living up to what the Bible says that it's supposed to be, then it must not be God's church. They don't need any part of that. As the pace of life continues to increase and as society becomes more and more self-centered, our Sabbath is a wonderful vehicle for rest, peace, and the gospel at large. But it's not about the knowledge of the Sabbath. It's about the experience of the Sabbath. I wanted to take time in this letter to tell you about the conversations that I'm so privileged to take part in 
with our high schoolers and our young adults every Friday and Saturday. The thoughtfulness and the sincerity is both astounding and aspiring. Young and Free is in the middle of a prayer challenge. For the month of June, each day a prompt goes out mid-morning and we pray. In the month of July, we will be looking at self-control and in the month of August, we will, we will be going through and discovering different Bible texts and scriptures. I share this because we know that we are a group who is after growing our faith. I share this and I ask for accountability and investment from our church family at large. While this is a venture of our young and free community, we recognize that it is not without the wisdom and the support of our church to truly experience God's blessing. Researchers from Fuller Seminary say that the typical ratio in the average youth group is one to five, one teacher to every five high school students. These same researchers also say that if you want to run a successful youth group, that your ratio should be five to one, five adults for every one youth. And one day, I actually hope that's the case. The youth ask and respond to the question of why faith makes a difference or why people choose it. I hope that they'll be able to discover that Sabbath is not only a ritual and is not just the place that they come, the, the place that gives them their faith, but it is a place where it can happen. That it is not the place where they learn about the Bible, but it is a place that they can that there is a point at which you stop inheriting the faith that your parents have gave you and you choose it for yourself. And when you do it, God will maintain his record of showing up in your life. That God has placed people in your life to help prove this over and over. We have a great opportunity here to dramatically change the trajectory of what it means to be a part of a faith community. Nowhere else can you walk into a church on Sabbath morning and see small groups led by young adults where they have the opportunity to impact yet soak in the wisdom of the church family at large. Nowhere else can you find these groups that are not about information solely, but they're about sharing your faith story and your journey together. That they're about creating opportunities to make those links happen. The most intimate thing you can do is to be a part of someone's faith journey. Not that you get to shape their theology or what they think, that you make sure that they're Adventist enough, but that you get to sit with them when God hasn't answered their prayers. That you get to be the hope of Christ when they can't claim it for themselves. It's powerful to offer that person, any person, this experience on a Saturday morning. While it may look different than your average Adventist gathering from 10 to 11, I find that it's becoming more and more meaningful. And against all odds, we're still upsetting these statistics. My dear church family, I share 
your burden for the future of our church. I share in your passion in making sure that the light of Jesus in our people, that our light is not extinguished in this world. I share in your desire to live in a world that is more compassionate and more full of love. And while this new Jerusalem, this new and foreign world that we can only dream about for when Jesus comes back, that does not give us permission to wait for his return before we, we become the people that he has called us to be. That we wait for Jesus before we advocate for the orphans, the suffering, and the marginalized. People today do not see the value in church. Oftentimes, because we're still here sitting in the four walls of our space. They know and they can comprehend the value that the church could hold, but they don't see it. Each person in this place has an integral part of being the tangible hands and feet of God outside the four walls of our church building. May we be bold. May, be, may we be confident. May we be unashamed of our identities as God's children. May we serve each other and may we get our hands dirty by serving this broken world. XO, XO, hugs and kisses, PK. So if somebody asked you to write a letter to your church, what would you say? And while we are not all pastors and we may not be writing the pastoral letter, the pastoral epistle to a different church providing counsel. We are the teachers. We are all of the other things that God has blessed us with. And we have a perspective to offer. What would you write? If your greeting was the only exercise of the letter that you began to write, would you be able to say your name Say that you are the child of God, the one unashamed of the gospel. What would you put in that greeting, that highly complimentary space that says who you are to give authority for the words that come next? Because all that it needs to say really is your name, Kayla, daughter of God. And with that, all that you say will be meaningful. What prayer would you pray for the church that you are a part of? What would you put as the body in the issues that you are talking about? Because you, in your eyes, have a specific contribution to what a church community and what the body of Christ looks like. And how would you close? Because all of this always said in love. So from the words of Paul, if you were to read the book of Romans, I compiled my own ending. So we who are many are one in the body of Christ. We are individually members of one another. Let love be genuine. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Live in harmony with one another. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
But most importantly, Romans 15, 13. May God, may the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have hope. Our hope is Jesus. So if we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are abounding in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you write this letter, find what God is putting on your hearts. May we be able to be a community that has something to show so that when people are looking, there's something to see. Amen.